0: You know I don't know that there's adequate words for the Good Friday story. I don't know that there's adequate words for the story of Jesus on Good Friday. It's overwhelming, it's emotional. And there's probably been a time today where you have thought to yourself, why Good Friday? I mean, why do we why do we call it Good Friday? I mean, you can, you can be a devoted Jesus follower, you could be completely against the idea of Jesus, but we could all land in the same place this evening in realizing that someone lost their life, and we're calling it good. I mean, if you begin to reflect and just try to put yourself on the scene that day, on that, that day when it happens, there was a man named Jesus who had taught amazing, incredible things. He had done amazing, powerful, impactful things in the lives of people all around him. He performed miracles, he loved well, he was compassionate, but he was arrested, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was made a joke, And he ultimately was killed, and he wasn't just killed so that his life would be taken, but he was killed by the Romans who had perfected crucifixion. And you see, the Romans were um, crucifying people on purpose. It wasn't just to put someone to death, but it was to put somebody to death in a way that was humiliating, that was shameful, that was intimidating, so that everybody else could see the person on display and be intimidated by the power of the Romans. And when we look at that and we reflect on that, There's nothing that seems good about that. In fact, I look at it and I think to myself, what a mess. I mean, imagine the frustration in that moment, the confusion, the paralyzing sense of emotion and devastation for those that were close to Jesus to experience this and see this display of hatred towards a man that was so good. What's interesting is that when I think back Millennia have passed. Governments and worldly powers have risen and fallen. We're not talking about days. We're not talking about weeks. We're not talking about months. We're not even talking about centuries. We're talking about thousands of years ago. There was a man who was killed on a cross. And yet, here we are today in Hockley, Texas, celebrating Good Friday. You, me, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our teammates, our classmates, maybe even somebody that we're having a difficult getting along with, we're all in this place together to celebrate what many would consider to be one of the worst of days. Why? The reason I believe, and I want us to understand in the next few minutes together, is because I believe that when we see and experience and understand the story of Jesus, we recognize that it's not just his story, but it's our story. We're connected to it. We get to see ourselves in his story. There's a man named Josh Whedon, who is the director and the writer of the Avengers movies, and maybe you've um, heard him speak before, you've heard him talk before, but he writes these epic stories of real evil and real good, and there's always a hero that rises up and rescues the people. But Joss is also a very outspoken public atheist, and so he loves to tweet things, he loves to write articles, he loves to speak about what he believes and why he believes that way. A couple of weeks ago, I came across an article where there was an interview going on with Joss and this particular interviewer, and he began to kind of ask him some questions. And he said to him, he said, you, you lead me to believe that you think that we live a life of no purpose, a life of, of no meaning, but yet you write these incredible epic stories of this evil and this darkness. And then all of a sudden there's this good that rises up out of that evil, out of that darkness and change begins to happen with that. And he asked him and he said to him this, he said, where does that come from? Why stories like that? And I think Joss's response is interesting. He says this, he says, someone once asked me if I had faith and he answered him this way. He said, I have faith in the narrative. I have a belief in a narrative that is bigger than me that is alive and will work itself out. When I see that and I read that, I think to myself, dude, do you not see what you're doing? Do you not see what is going on here? You are writing a story that's part of a bigger story. The stories you're writing are an echo of the bigger story. You see, there's a big, grand story going on, and it's been going on for centuries, for millennia. It's a story that is alive, that it is continuing on even today. You're writing, you're speaking, you're creating, you're tapping into this creativity to write a story that's just an echo, that's just a glimpse of a bigger story. Think about the blockbuster movies that we lose our minds over and we spend crazy money on. Think about the movie Lord of the Rings. J.R.R. Tolkien writes the story, and when he first wrote the books, he didn't believe there was anything significant to the books. In fact, when he was asked at a younger age, is there any meaning to what you've written? Is there any allegory that we're trying to figure out in this? And he would say back in the day, no, there's not. It's just a great story. But once he got older, he began to reflect back, and he began to say, you know what? I finally realized there's more meaning to the story. He said, when I read the story, I see Jesus Christ on every single page. I mean, think about it. There's the king who comes from obscurity, from humility, and he, he rises up in a moment of danger. He walks through a, a valley of death, and he beats evil back. He takes his place as king with healing in his hand, and it's a blockbuster hit. Harry Potter. I mean, there's some Harry Potter fans in the room. And there was some conflict in the church back in the day because the church was like, I don't know if we need to be supporting Harry Potter. There's witchcraft in this. And, you know, it just it doesn't match up with what I believe and I'm concerned and I'm not going to let my kids watch it. And I, that's okay. That's not what I'm saying it for, for tonight. But it's interesting the story of even Harry Potter. I mean, how does little Harry Potter defeat and push back evil? He takes the evil into himself. And he takes it to the grave. He dies with it. And then he raises back to life victoriously to beat back the evil and rescue the people. And people ask J.K. Rowling, where did you get the story from? And she said, have you ever heard the story of Jesus? Frozen. I mean, maybe the first two didn't get you, but frozen gets you. It's a story of Elsa. She is working diligently to use her gifts and her abilities and her power to find meaning and purpose for herself. And it's not going well. In fact, it is wrecking her. So Anna has to step away and give her life. And it's an act of sacrifice because of true love that thawed Elsa's heart to live the way she was intended to live, to use her power and her abilities the way that they were meant to be used. Where do they come up with this stuff? Where do they come up with these stories? It's a story that every single one of us are attached to. It's a story that every single one of us knows. There's an author. He's all-knowing. He's the creator. He is God himself. And he he has written the story. He is writing the story. And he will continue to write the story. He exists outside of time, but there's also a hero and his name is Jesus. And when I see and I begin to understand the story, I recognize that it's my story. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 53. We read this passage to start our night together tonight. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words long before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem and he was foretelling the arrival of Jesus. He was foretelling the arrival of King Jesus, the Messiah, the savior of the world, the hero in the story. He's telling us that he's gonna be here, but he speaks intentionally and specifically. And he says that he was pierced for our transgressions. Do you see what he's doing there? He's saying he's making this part of our story. These were our transgressions that he was pierced for. And if you begin to reflect back, regardless of where you land in your faith, we would all agree that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth more than 2,000 years ago that was hung on a cross and was killed. That, that is a historical fact, and we would all agree with that. But isn't it compelling that all the time has passed, and here we are still talking about this man named Jesus? Why? What was happening that day? Why does that matter to you and me? Why does that matter to the stay-at-home mom who is overwhelmed with the responsibilities and the routines of managing a household of chaos? Why does it matter to a businessman or a businesswoman that has seen success yet still senses some emptiness asking what's the point in all of this? What does this matter? What does Jesus matter? What does Jesus going to the cross matter to the college student or the high school student who is pursuing education, trying to figure out the direction for their life? What does it matter to the grandparents who's beginning to live the retired dream and reflecting back and asking themselves, is everything all that I hoped it would be? What does it mean to the single parent who's raising the kids and trying to set them up for the best life possible? What does it mean to you that Jesus died on the cross? Well, the prophet tells us in the second part of that verse, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace. Peace from what? Peace in what? Peace with God? Because there was a severed relationship with God, and now we get to have a restoration of that, and we get to experience peace because of that. We get to experience peace within ourselves because we've constantly dealt with a void, with a a lack of satisfaction And so we run desperately trying to satisfy that void and it leads us to a place of devastation and destruction and because of Jesus, we get to live in peace with that because no longer are we looking to fill that void because that void has been filled in Jesus. We get to experience peace with other people who have also experienced this peace. How? Because his wounds have healed us. And so tonight as we reflect on his wounds, as we reflect on his scars, as we reflect on his death, I want us to flip to the New Testament and see what Paul has to say about this. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church at Galatia. Now you've got to go back and remember, if, if, let, me, let me remind you for a second of where Paul came from. Paul was a hater of Jesus, He despised followers of Jesus. It was his passion, his goal to exterminate all Jesus followers from the earth. He wreaked havoc on them. He took them to the point of death. And yet in Galatians chapter two, a man who was so devoted to a religious system to the point where he would kill other people that didn't believe the same thing begins to write this about Jesus. He says, I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now I wanna pause right there and, and, and make some sense of what he's talking about. What Paul is saying is he's saying, there was a time that I was a part of a religious system. But I recognize now, after having an encounter with Jesus and seeing Jesus clearly for who he is, that I am now part of the story that I am connected with the crucifixion that day, that what happened on that day was part of my story. And he says, I am crucified with Christ. Maybe you need to underline the word with and circle it or highlight it, but with Christ. He is connected to the story of Jesus. Now he wasn't on the cross that day, but what happened on the cross that day had an impact on his life. You see, for you and I and for Paul too, It was a price that you and I couldn't pay. It was a cost that we weren't capable of coming up with, but we get to be, as Paul is, the beneficiaries of the transaction that took place that day. And Paul is wanting us to see that, that we were connected with it, you know, at this time of the year, this particular weekend, we kind of lose our minds in getting prepared for Easter Sunday, because we got to go get the right dress, we got to go get the right clothes, maybe you even go as far as getting the right Easter hat. I mean, you got to get it all right, and if, if you're one of those people, you've probably been to the outlet mall today, or you're going to go tomorrow, and there's kind of some chaos, because you got to get that perfect family picture. Let's just say that tomorrow or, or Sunday, when you're back for one of the Easter services, um, me and my family are in the lobby, and you know we've got to get that Easter picture. it's what we do. It's the Easter tradition for us, and you're walking through, and I say, "Hey, hey, would you mind taking a picture of us, please?" And I hand you my phone. And so you're like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." And you step back and you're about to take the picture, and then somebody accidentally bumps into you, and my phone goes crashing to the ground into a thousand pieces. Now that's an unfortunate situation. <laughs> but somebody's going to have to fix that phone. And there's two options. Because that phone's going to cost about $200. If it was the brand new iPhone, it'd be like a million dollars, but it's not the brand new iPhone. But somebody, something has to happen there. The first option would be that you could choose and say, hey, you know what, that's my bad, I I got this. I'll cover the the price of the phone. Or I could say, no, dude, don't worry about it. I forgive you, It's, it's good. And even if I choose to forgive you, I'm still out the price of the phone. There's a price that still has to be paid. And what Paul is wanting us to see is that Jesus paid a price that you and I could not pay. Because every sin incurs a debt. And it's a debt that you and I cannot pay. And Paul finally realizes when he trusted Jesus, that the religious system no longer allowed him to have a relationship with God. It was simply through faith in Jesus Christ. He became a beneficiary of the cross of Jesus, the transaction that took place that day. And he says, with Christ. He says, this is my story. It's not just something that he knew something about. It wasn't just a story that he talked about. It wasn't a story that he sang songs about. It wasn't a story that he, he tweeted about on his Twitter account. It was none of that. It was something that had a drastic effect on his life. It changed him. It flipped the scripts of his story. It completely and radically changed his life. And he says, I am part of the story of what Jesus has done. He continues on in verse 21, and he says this. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. Maybe you need to circle that, highlight that. The word nullify, I'll come back to that in a moment. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose you know, Paul, again, is writing to a group of religious people. I mean, he's, he's writing, and he wants people to see there's, there's people that are reading this that are beginning to be influenced by a religious system. They've trusted Jesus. They begin to understand what a relationship with Jesus looks like. And as they begin to trust, there's been this infiltration of a religious system to try to earn God's grace. And so what Paul is telling them, he's saying, I choose to not nullify the grace of God. That word nullify means to cancel out to disregard, to pass by, to ignore, and he's saying, I will not ignore, I will not pass out, pass by, I will not cancel out the grace of God. And what he's saying is, he's saying, I will not let some system of religion step in and try to convince me that I have to earn God's grace, because all the grace that I need was taken care of at the cross of Jesus, Jesus said, it is finished, To tetelestai. Paul is saying, I will not go back to the system that used to control my life, to the system where I found my identity. He's saying, my faith in Jesus trumps the religious system. I will not nullify the grace of God. Now, for some of us, that might be a legitimate issue that you find yourself tripping over. But I think for many of us in the United States, It's not so much that we tried to cancel out with a religious system the grace of God in our lives because of what Jesus did. But I think many of us can very easily simply pass by it, ignore it, disregard it. You know, it makes me think about the two thieves that were on the cross on each side of Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. And if you go back and read the story, one of the thieves decided that he was gonna participate in the mockery of Jesus, And so he begins to joke about Jesus. He begins to slam Jesus. He begins to make fun and mock and just ridicule Jesus. In his final moments, he spent his last breaths making fun of the savior of the world. The reality is, is that he died six feet from God's son. And I don't know what the reality of that is for that thief, but I can't begin to imagine what it would be like to begin to say something like, you know, I I lived a rough life. My family situation wasn't ideal. I made some really poor choices and as I continued to make poor choices, they just began to kind of snowball and kind of get out of control and I just, I found myself in um, in the system and finally the government decided it was time for them to take my life because I was a threat to society. But God loved me so much that He put His Son six feet from me before I took my last breath. What a tragedy. And my fear is is that we could come to Good Friday and find ourselves down the road one day experiencing the exact same tragedy. That here we are, hearing the story of Jesus on the cross. Understanding that it's also our story, it's a story that's written on our hearts, but that we could simply nullify it. We could push it off to the side. We could cancel it out. We could disregard it. We could ignore it. There's a reason that you're here tonight. And maybe you had just a terrible day because everybody else was out of school and nobody else had to go to work and you had to go to work and the benefit of that was that there was no traffic coming home on 290, but then you exited Becker Road and you got stuck in a line of cars. And they just kind of escorted you in with the rest of the herd. And then here you are. And you're like, man, this is the last place I need to be tonight. And I know that that's a little ridiculous, but for whatever reason that you're here, whether you're fulfilling the obligation of a friend's invite or f- participating in a family tradition, how tragic would it be to simply disregard the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus, recognizing Jesus as our hero? and getting down the road one day and realizing the great tragedy that is experienced as a result of that. Paul wants us to see that Jesus' story is our story. It's interesting that he says, I was crucified with Christ. That word crucify is intense. It's giving us the imagery of, of death. Paul is saying, I died with Christ. What he is saying and what he's trying to help us understand is that when I understand the story of Jesus and I know that I'm connected to the story, then I am willing to lay my life down. I am willing to give up my dreams, my hopes, surrender my abilities, the things that I'm good at, everything in my life, because I recognize that everything Jesus did and does and will continue to do is better. And so I lay my life down and I surrender to Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. It's why baptism is such a big deal in the Christian faith. As Jesus followers, it's why we take that step of baptism. It's a symbolic act to let everybody know, just like Paul is doing in this passage, he's saying, Jesus is my story. And I want everybody to know that. And it's what baptism is. And this weekend, we're actually celebrating baptism in all four Easter services. And what a better time I mean, is there a better time to celebrate life change through baptism than on Easter? And so when you came in this evening, inside your worship uh, guide, there was a little card that looked something like this. And maybe as you've been sitting here this evening, as you've been reflecting on the story and the images and everything that's been happening in this room, you for the very first time have recognized that Jesus' story is your story. Maybe you've recognized that at some time in the past and you've never made that decision to get baptized. We want to make that opportunity available to you this weekend. We want to celebrate with you this weekend. And so if you have this card in your hands, you can simply fill out the really simple information. It just simply says, put your name, your phone number. We're not going to harass you with robocalls, I promise. And then there's four service times. You pick one of those service times and then put your t-shirt size on there. And then in just a little bit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna close out this message. We're gonna do communion together. We're gonna do a couple more songs. You don't wanna leave early tonight. I, I, please, I'm just gonna go ahead and ask you this. Please don't step out early after the message out of routine because you're gonna miss out on some of the best parts of our night tonight. But as you leave tonight, when everything has concluded, take this card and right outside these doors, you'll see tables that have this photo on the TVs and you can just exchange this card for a packet, for a t-shirt and everything you need to get baptized in whichever service you want to be baptized in this weekend and celebrate the best day ever for you personally because Jesus' story is your story. You know, when a few years ago I was hanging out with my wife and my two boys and my in-laws. And we had spent the morning watching our boys play football and baseball and just had a great time. And we decided we were gonna have lunch at Mod Pizza. And so we go to Mod Pizza and we waited in line, um, had, some, had some pizza, we're sitting there. And we were just beginning to wrap up our lunch and we're having conversation. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye, my youngest son Camden sitting at the table. He was actually standing. And when I looked at him, I recognized that his face didn't look right. His face was blue and he wasn't making any noise. And that's not normal for Camden, because he's always making noise. And I immediately jumped into rescue mode, because I knew that he was in trouble, and that he could not help himself. And so I jumped up, and I just remember that, the, I don't remember a whole lot, I just remember silence. And I run around to the end of the table, and he's got his hand down his throat, and he's trying to allow himself to breathe. He's not making any sound. I can tell that this is a serious situation. And so I do what anybody in the room would do in that moment. I get behind him and I start to thrust the Heimlich maneuver. And after two or three thrusts, I hear this weird sound that I'll never forget. And then finally he pulls out this long piece of cheese that had melted on his plate but had gotten cold and so had lost its elasticity and it got lodged in his throat and it was blocking air from getting into his lungs. And I remember after it came up and he, 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 he took his first deep breath, I kind of knelt down and I sat down next to him and I said, hey, buddy, are you okay? And he didn't say anything, but he was overwhelmed with emotion and he couldn't get any closer to me than he already was. I mean, he just wanted to be in my arms because he understood the reality of what that situation could have become had I not been there to save him. It was interesting, over the next few days, I could not get him off of my hip. I mean, we're sitting on the couch watching TV, watching football, I get up to go to the bathroom, he's following me, it's getting weird, it's getting awkward, but he wanted to be close to me. He didn't wanna leave. I mean, isn't that the natural response, though? When we recognize that someone has saved our life, we want to be near to them. It changes the way that we see them. Here's what's interesting, though. That was a couple years ago. Now, I look at Cam and I say, hey, Cam, you wanna come sit by me on the couch? And he's like, nope. And he takes off and it turns into a game of hide and seek. Why? Because he's forgotten. And sometimes we have to be reminded. And Jesus knew that. I mean, isn't it funny how easily we forget? Jesus knew this. He knew that we would live in a world that was full of distraction. He knew that we would live in a world that was competing for our attention. And so he knew that it would be important for us to make intentional time to remember him, to reflect on him and understand and remember his story. It's why Paul takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He begins to speak into this. And he says, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he continues on in verse 25. He says, in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Jesus is sitting with his disciples the night before he goes to the cross, And he begins to have this conversation. They're actually sitting there celebrating the Passover meal. They're remembering and reflecting the most epic story up to this point in history of God's goodness, God's grace. How God saved them from the evil of the Egyptians. How he had wiped away their guilt and he had protected them from the judgment that was to come because of their obedience in faith. And they were celebrating that and they'd been celebrating it for thousands of years. On this night, Jesus sits there and he says, hey, when you take this bread and you break it, it's my body, broken for you. When you take this cup, it's my blood, this to be poured out. Do this, do it often, and remember me. Because he knew we would have a tendency to forget. Now, two things happen in this moment. Number one, he's, he's saying to these people, to his closest friends, he's saying, remember me. He's saying, you've been reflecting back for years. Your grandparents and their grandparents were reflecting back to God's goodness. But he's saying, there's going to be something that happens in the next few days that is going to be remembered forever. My body's gonna be broken and my blood's gonna be poured out so that you can have life, so that death can be overcome. He says, remember me. What What all does he want us to remember? He wants us to remember that. But I think he also wants us to remember... That he chose to be in a relationship with us. He came to us. He wasn't some distant, faraway God hanging up in the clouds, d- unconcerned, disconnected from humanity. Jesus arrived on the earth and he's saying, Remember that I came to this place. Remember that I came to you. Remember that I lived for 33 years. Remember the teachings that I've taught you. Remember the miracles that you got to watch. Remember the life change that you saw take place because of the way that we showed love. Remember this night where we sat at this table and I was personally connected and interested in your life. Remember that I was arrested. Remember that I was mocked. Remember that I was betrayed. Remember that I was abandoned. Remember my body. Remember my blood. Remember that I was beaten Remember that I carried a cross and that I hung on that cross naked for six hours, absorbing the wrath of God in your place. Remember me. Remember that they took my body off that cross and they put it in a tomb. But remember that on the third day, I walked out of that tomb. Remember me. And in just a moment, We're going to remember Jesus. And for some of us, maybe the reminder we need is just to remember the story of Jesus so that we know what it really means to remember Jesus. To remember what he did, to remember his sacrifice. And so in just a moment, when the band comes back out and starts to play, you'll notice all around the room there's tables with candles lit. The bread and the cup are there. When the band begins to play, you'll be able to move in just a moment. If you're sitting in the risers, we want you to stay in your seats when this time comes. Our volunteers are going to bring the bread and the cup to you. But just, just before we do that, listen. I think it's important for us to understand this because I think that there may be some here tonight that need to hear this last few minutes. And it's simply this. There's some of us who have come to a place where we know the story of Jesus and we even begin to recognize our connection to it. But we've gotten stuck on Friday. Friday and we've been unable to move to Easter. We've been stuck as a victim on Good Friday. And listen, but hear me out. Don't put a wall up here and, 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 and kind of cancel out my voice, but there's probably some legitimate reasons for many of us in the room tonight to feel like a victim. Victim of circumstances, victim of diagnosis or sickness or poor health, victim of a poor choice that we made, Victims of our poor choice that he made or she made, victims of the devastation and the destruction that we've experienced, because we've been in this pursuit to find fulfillment and satisfaction in our life. And the result of that, that is that you've come to a place where you feel like all hell has broke loose. And there is baggage, there are wounds, there are scars. And tonight, God is not saying to you and me that you're not a victim. What Jesus is saying to us tonight as we remember him is he is saying, I know what that's like. I get it, I was a victim. I was a victim on Friday. I was the victim on Saturday. But on Sunday, I became the victor. And you don't have to stay a victim forever. You can pack your bags on Friday and join me on Sunday. That's what it means to remember Jesus. And I know that some of you might say, but Wes, I've got some major scars. I've got some major wounds. That's great. Because one day, you'll get to talk scars with Jesus. Because it's interesting that when Jesus came back to life, His body was perfect except for the scars in his hands. He showed his followers after he had risen from the grave his two scars. Why is that significant? Because scars are proof of God's healing. They're proof of God's healing. And so when we see the scars in our life, we see that God is healing us. But it also tells a story. That's Jesus' story. The scars in his hands are the story of Jesus. And by his wounds, we are healed. It's our story. Can we pray? Jesus, we're overwhelmed. As we... Even begin to try to wrap our minds around that day and all that took place that day. And when we begin to reflect, we begin to understand you could have stopped it in any moment, but you chose it. You chose to rise up, you chose to do what had to be done so that we could be the beneficiaries of God's love, God's grace. You gave your life. And we're forever grateful for that. And so Jesus, we wanna spend just the next few minutes reflecting and remembering you, remembering your sacrifice, remembering your story, your blood that was poured out, and remembering that it's not just a story that's irrelevant to us, but it is our story. You flipped the script of our life. You give us new life. You give us new purpose. You give us new dreams. You give us a brand new future. We don't wanna go back. We don't wanna just talk about it. We don't wanna just sing about it. We don't wanna just post about it. We want it to impact our lives. And so God, I pray that as we remember Jesus in this moment, as we take the bread and we remember the body that was broken, as we take the cup and remember the blood that was poured out, would you do a work in us that only you can do as we remember and we reflect. Give us clarity to the story to the story that you're writing in our lives. We're thankful tonight. We trust you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.